The book of John is the story of this man, the Messiah. And he's making this point. So John is broken up into two sections. The first section we finished last semester. That first section is Jesus is the Messiah. If you could take John 1 through 11, that's what John 1 through 11 would be. Jesus is the Messiah. And that's really important. Because if Jesus is the Messiah, he's also the Lord of the world. So Jesus being the Jewish Messiah means he is also Lord of the whole world. So all of Jewish prophecy points to a man who will save not just the Jews, but all of mankind from themselves. That's Jesus. So Jesus comes on the scene in 1 through 11. He's saying, hey, I'm the guy that was promised. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Jewish Messiah. Therefore, I am Lord of the whole world. And the Jews are like, sweet, you're going to save us from the Roman Empire's rule. And then in John 12 to the rest of the book, we find out what Jesus really came to do. So he says in 1 through 11, I'm the Messiah. And then in 12 and the rest of the book, he says, the Messiah must die for you. Wow, that's crazy. Because the Jews the whole time were like, when the Messiah gets here, he's going to overthrow Rome and Jew uh, and Israel's going to, I was going to call it Jewish land. That's not it. Uh, Israel is going to be the ruler of all the world because that's how they read the prophecies. Well, they were wrong. He comes in in the first half of the book. He's making this point over and over and over. I am the Messiah who comes to give life. I am the Messiah who comes to give life. The rest of the book is the Messiah gives life by dying for you and reconciling you back to God. And in right relationship with God, you become alive. And as you are alive and the people of God are alive, then they cultivate life as they go. So that's just the story. That's the story of humanity. That's why he's saying, I came that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And all, them, all of that occurs, all of that happens as we believe, as we have faith, as we trust in Jesus to do that for us. Jesus stands in the gap before humans and men, I mean, bef between God and uh, and man so that we are redeemed and reconciled back to God so that we can live life again and not just exist. Okay, so that's John. Wow, we've got a little further to go. Okay, sorry, we need to get through this. Okay. Uh, so yeah, there you got these two sections, sections, sections of John, and we are going to jump into the beginning of the first, uh, beginning of the second section now. This is John 12. Um, so let's read the whole thing and then... Uh, Let's, let's talk about it. And again, it, we're in John 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, that's a weird word, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, 
Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Uh, six days before the Passover. Passover is a Jewish festival where um, the Jews commemorate their freedom. And they commemorate their freedom by eating a spotless lamb and sacrificing it. Uh, they commemorate their freedom from Egypt. And so woven in there is all this beautiful imagery pointing towards Jesus. Six days before the Passover. This is six days before Jesus will go to the cross and be the Passover lamb for the Israelites and for the whole world. So we are a week away from Jesus' death. And John 12 for the rest of the book is just that whole week. Uh, so that's what we're going to be looking at for the rest of the semester, the week leading up to the death of Jesus. Uh, so uh, ironically, uh, John 12 follows John 11. Uh, John 11 is the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead by Jesus. Lazarus is Martha and Mary's brother. And now uh, they want to have a dinner for Jesus. It seems appropriate, I guess, that they would have feed him dinner after he raised their brother from the dead. Um, so it better have been a really good dinner. Um, and so the story is, is that Jesus and Lazarus, I believe it's just going to be males there around the table, uh, they're reclining. And they don't normally eat like at a table, right? If you know, they, for some reason, this seems weird to me, but they lay down and eat. They're really lazy people is what it is. The Jews were very lazy. And they would lay down at the table and eat. That's good, though, because I eat and I get tired. And then I want to pass out. Uh, but so they're laying down at the table. And then Mary comes up. And she begins. She lets her hair down. And then she takes this uh, perfume, this ointment. That's worth a year's wages. A year's wages. That's like, uh, let's say $40,000 right now. Like we just say, we'll just take a year's wages. I don't know. There's, it's common labor. It's not like real rich folk. A common laborer's year's wages. She takes that much money in ointment that was probably passed down to her from someone who passed it down to that person. I mean, this has probably been in the family for years. She takes that ointment and then she lets her hair down and then she anoints Jesus as he's laying there with this ointment and then takes her hair and is cleaning it up. And this is offensive. This is offensive. This is not just like really beautiful. Anybody in the first century reading this would be appalled at what Mary's doing. Not only because, it, yeah, like Judas is talking about, it's wasting money. Uh, but because she let her hair down and she's going up to this rabbi and putting ointment on him while he's eating. So her letting her hair down is, is equivalent. Uh, I, I was saying this. It's the equivalent of you just coming in here in a bikini and, and, and then acting like that's very honoring to God. Like I was raised in an old church and you had to wear like a suit, you know, and that was honoring to God. And they, they felt that way. 
But imagine if bikinis were honoring to God, and that's how you, like, walked in here, and you were like, no. And everybody else is wearing their suit, but you're in your bikini, and you're like, God loves me way more than y'all because of the way I dress. <laughs> it's, it's, it's literally that weird to them. It's that offensive to them. It's like, what are they, what is he doing? What's going on? And so what, what we're seeing is this beautiful, organic act of worship by Mary who is completely uninhibited and cares nothing, cares nothing for the social customs and norms of the culture that she's raised in, which has very, very, very strong social customs and norms. She cares nothing for it. And so what John's doing in the story is he's taking characters and he's pitting them against each other so that you would identify with one of the characters. So he brings these responses to what's going on with Mary. And the purpose of it is to you might identify with a person in the story. And normally what John does, he makes it hard to fully identify with anyone because the protagonist in the story is Mary, but everyone in the first century reading this, first century reading this is like, what? how is she the protagonist? She's weird and crazy and undignified. And then you have Martha, and then you have Judas. And in this story, as you've seen in another story with Martha and Mary, Martha's gratitude for what Jesus has done is that she works for him. She cooks for him. She serves. She's hustle and bustle. Mary's response to what Jesus has done is extravagant, weird worship. And then, and then Judas's response is, he's obviously the bad guy. I mean, he's the guy that's about to pray, betray Jesus. Oh, all right, he's the bad guy. But Judas is like this whistleblower with this guise of spirituality and this guise of, like, I care for the poor and this guise of, like, I'm, I'm spiritual. This, is, this may look extravagant and worshipful, but this is really wasteful. So he comes on with this guise of spirituality and he's just this whistleblower. And so what John is forcing you to do is... Okay, identify with one of the characters in that story. And I think what adds a depth to this story is what's driving Mary to this sort of worship? Like, what has happened? Yeah, her brother was raised from the dead. That's awesome. But there's a very strong, very strong argument that it's not just because she's happy that her brother's back from the dead. Martha and Mary... Uh, when they're talked about, they're never talked about with another man other than Lazarus. So it's very likely that their brother was their caretaker. And in this culture and in this time, if, a, if two women uh, don't have a dad to take care of them or a husband or a brother, uh, they're screwed like they are. Uh, they're going to have to resort to um, begging or prostitution to survive. They're going to have to go one of two ways. So literally, Jesus' act of raising Lazarus from the dead 
is salvation for, Mar- for Mary and Martha. It's salvation that this God would come to earth. She doesn't know he's going to the cross, but she doesn't get that yet. She doesn't really get that, but she's overwhelmed by the fact that this God who speaks life and creation into existence would go to some peasants in the middle of nowhere and raise their brother from the dead so that they might not have to become prostitutes and beggars. That is nuts. That's crazy. She is overwhelmed by the faithfulness of her God. She's overwhelmed by the faithfulness of her God to save, to maintain faithfulness to his promises. Overwhelmed. And her response is, I just don't care how this looks. What's the most expensive thing I own? Okay, let's break that. Let's put it all over him and let me show him that I love him, that I love him, that I love him. He's so good. This is Mary's response. And so John is forcing you to associate. To associate. He, he does this character development so that you're forced to associate with one of them. And so my question is, who do you associate with? What's easier for, like, are you, are you Mary? Who is like really overcome with all that the Lord has done in your life that this worship happens? Are you Martha, who's like, I'm overcome with what the Lord has done, but this makes me just, I just need to worship. I mean, I just need to serve. I just need to serve. I need to work. 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 Just got to prove my love by work, prove my love by work. Or is it Judas, who doesn't get it? He just doesn't get it. He's just like this idiot in the crowd that's got these spiritual things to say. And everybody's just seeing right through it, you know? So, like, what, where do you associate and where do you fall in? And so the point of all this is not, the point of all this is not to say worship better. The point of this is not to say, hey, do cartwheels in the aisles when it's time to sing. The point's not to say, hey, you should sing like you mean it because you should feel very grateful. That's, like, not the point. The point is that something happened to Mary that causes that. You can't mimic that sort of worship. You can't create that sort of worship. You can't create that sort of, I'll throw, yeah, I'll throw down 50000 I'm a peasant, and I've got $50,000. I'll throw that down. You can't recreate that because some guy on the stage says you should worship better. The point is is that Mary and Martha, and they've put themselves at the feet of Jesus. They've allowed him to lead. Like you're going to see that over and over with Martha and Mary. They're the faithful women that follow Jesus. And so what's going on with Mary is this organic response to what Jesus has done in her life. It's this organic response to what Jesus has done. And so the question is not, or the statement is not worship better. The question is, is Jesus producing this life in you that leads to worship? And I'm not just talking about when we sing songs together. I'm talking about like, you'll hear me say this, when you eat a peach or a good steak, 
or something that God has created? Does it lead you to say, oh my God, God is good and has created good things for his people? Like, has God, have, have you allowed God to come through for you in times? Have you trusted him when it looks like this isn't going to go the right way? I'm talking about has God come through for you? Has God done things? Is God there? Can you remember that? Does worship happen in your life? Not worship better, but question. Has, is worship the response of your life? If worship, this is strong, but if worship is not the response of your life, you don't know God. If worship is not the response of your life, you don't know him in any sort of real way. You may have an intellectual grasp of some things that this book says about him. And so if worship isn't the response, then you don't really don't know him. Because all of this flows out of life with God. He's drawn people to himself so that they might be alive and be able to cultivate life. So that's where this goes. Um, a guy that I used to listen to preach quite a bit, he would always say, uh, it's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay that way. It's really easy to come to church and play this silly little game. It's really easy to come to church and like we just do this stuff. Um, but what we're trying to do is be real with ourselves and cultivate life in Jesus' name. And that happens as we are honest about where we are. We are honest about how God makes us angry because we don't experience him when we read the Bible. When we're honest about, I, I go to worship and it just feels sort of weird. But I do believe in God. As we're honest about, like, I have this struggle that I can't get past and I can't get rid of it. How do I get rid of it? This is honesty in the way that we approach God because he knows everything already. So there's this honesty in the way that we approach. And in that honesty, we can work through all these things and sink deeply our roots into the faithfulness of a good God and allow worship to flow and worship be this organic response to the way that God leads us and guides us and lives with us. And we are filled by him and moved by him. So all of that is to say, who do you associate with and why? I'm not giving you something to go home and do this week, but consider like where you are this is a new year new people like new friends and old friends too like where this goes is really important is life happening because this goes by really fast and you become an old man or an old woman in a wheelchair but you're retired and life was okay so the question is do you have life are you experiencing life and if not why why so dang I just get up here and I'm heavy and I'm sorry but that's just the way it is sometimes um, so yeah Worship flows from life with God. Is worship the natural response of your life? Is it occasional? If it's not, I'm telling you, let, like, let's work through that. Let's do that. That would be a beautiful thing. Life is good and can be beautiful. It can be freeing and joyful and peaceful and right. 